Lord, we thank you so much that you are so good. Lord, it's just like being in heaven here tonight as we, as we think, Lord, about all that you are and all that you've done and all that you want to do and all that you will do in our lives and in this world in the future. God, we pray tonight as, as we open your word now, Lord, that you will remind us again or maybe show us for the first time just how good you are. Lord, that we might uh, just continue to worship you and to give our lives to you. God, thank you so much for rescuing us. Thank you so much for giving us a hope and a future. Amen. Amen. I wonder, though, as, as um, we come to open God's Word in a minute, how do you see the future? It's vitally important that we, that we get a sense of what the future holds for us. Clive has been talking a lot recently. Clive's a senior pastor, if you're, if you're a visitor or new here. Um, a, a, a word from Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish, it says in the authorised version of the Bible. It's a, the, the wording is slightly different in our modern translations, but it means the same kind of thing. We need to have a vision of the future if, if life is going to make sense, if life is going to work for us. But if we look out into the world today, what do we see? We see IS. We see poverty, we see, we see refugees queuing up to try and get into Europe and away from tyranny. We, we see people who are, who are poor, we see people who are suffering from cancer, people struggling with financial issues, people with relationship problems. We can go on and on and on. Global warming, of course, water shortages, and all of these kind of things. But what, what does the future hold? What does the future hold for us? I just want, to, want us to read uh, from Revelation chapter 21. And the words are now on the screen in, in front of you now. And this is, this is a picture of the, of the, end, of, the end, end of time, if you like, the beginning of eternity. And John, who was a follower of Jesus 2,000 years ago, he had a vision, and this is what he saw. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, that's these ones, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Now that's an amazing picture. I don't know if you've read that before. Some of us will have read it many times before. But we need to get a hold of what that is saying. That actually all this stuff that we just talked about that's happening in the world today is going to come to an end. That God is going to deal with it. He's going to make everything new. He's going to deal with all the pain, all the suffering, all the brokenness, all the broken dreams, all the, all the failures, and turn it all around and make it into something new. And I hope that that's exciting to you because it's exciting to me. It's really exciting stuff. A friend of mine is a very gifted evangelist, someone who could tell people about Jesus and they come to faith, tells a story about how she went to visit somebody in a prison. He was in prison for, for a long, long time. And she shared the story of Jesus with him countless times. 
and he never believed. And then one day, she went to see this guy, and he said, I've believed, I've believed in Jesus. And she said, well, why? What's happened? And she said, well, this, this guy said, I, I read that book that you gave me, and I read that bit at the end, which is the bit we just read here, actually, in Revelation 21. He said, about, that, about God making everything you. And I thought, wow, I want to be a part of that. And so I believed in Jesus. And that man became a Christian on that day. And it's God's heart for everybody, all of us here, but the people outside of this place as well, to have as many opportunities as it takes for us to come, for them to come to know that God loves them, that Jesus died for them on that cross, and that he came into the world so that we can all have life in all its fullness, both now and on into eternity, without any end at all. That is his plan for every single one of us. And he wants us to come into a relationship with God so that we can live in relationship with with him through the Holy Spirit who will dwell within us. But of course, as we look around the UK today, we see that actually we get glimpses of this. Absolutely we do. But actually we're not in a great place really, are we? There's probably 7% of the people in the UK today who attend church on a regular basis. I don't know how many people, how many of those people, and perhaps a few more, perhaps I'm sure there's many more, would say they have a relationship with God. Okay, and that's really good stuff. So there's 93% of people, it seems, have nothing to do with church, or at least don't attend church on a more regular basis than maybe once a year at Christmas. And attendance at church has been dropping throughout all of our lifetimes, and it's really, really depressing, isn't it? We can get really fed up about such things. Of course, it goes on decreasing. One statistic I heard this week, though, is that actually there are more churches starting now than there have been for a while. So actually, although there's decline in in membership still, it's bottoming it out, and there are new churches starting. If you contrast that to pubs, 27 pubs are closing every week. So there's some some good news, unless, of course, you like a drink as well, in which case that's not such good news. Um, but, uh, But you get the idea there. This can all be hugely discouraging to us. We think, what's the point? What is, what is going on, really? But actually, I hope that it's really encouraging to us. Because what it means is that there's loads and loads of people just outside the doors here who don't know Jesus. And so it's really, really easy to find people who don't know Jesus that we can share him with. It's not a difficult thing to have to do. This morning I was in, in uh, Dartmouth Naval College preaching about the resurrection to a congregation of about 50 largely unchurched young people in their late teens and 20s. There are loads of people out there who don't know Jesus, and it's really exciting that we can find them really, really easily. Lots of reasons for the decline that we've just been talking about, but one of them, I think, is that we've lost our way. I'm not saying Muttley particularly, or you as an individual, but generally as church in the West, we've lost our way. We've kind of forgotten that Jesus said, I want you to be disciples. I want you to follow me I want you to do the stuff that I do in your lives, and I want you to, to, to share that with other people. I want you to be whole life disciples, is, is, is a phrase that we're using here at Muttley at the moment, or whole life disciple making disciples. And that's really what it means to be a Christian. It's not, not believing certain things, simply believing stuff and sitting in a pew on a, on a nice sun, sunny sun, Sunday evening. 
It's about actually living our lives in a particular way. It's dynamic. It's about following Jesus. It's being as a little Jesus, someone said. So to be a replica of Jesus out there in the world. And so we, we, we find today, I think, in churches that often that's not happening. People have lost their way, and we're not doing what Jesus said. Remember, he said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you. That was a passage from Matthew chapter 6, where people are worrying about all the stuff that they need in life, so food and clothing and money and all that kind of stuff. Jesus said, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. You just follow me, and you'll get everything that you need. Of course, we still worry about all of this stuff and not so good at following Jesus. I know that because that's my own experience as well. I'm not perfect at this, any of this stuff by any means. But he's calling us to put aside everything, everything that's secondary to him and making the main thing the main thing, which is following him, seeking to be a whole life disciple, seeking after his kingdom. Tonight we are beginning a new series, as Ross mentioned just now, Frontline Parables, and we saw the, we saw the, uh, the, the main uh, slide at the beginning of, of, of um, this, this uh, address, this message just now. Frontline Parables, it links in with our, with our morning series as well, Life on the Frontline. And, we, and we're speaking about Frontline, and if you weren't here this morning, like me, you, you may not know what a Frontline is. You may think of World War I and trenches, and all that kind of stuff that was going on um, 100 years ago today. Really scary, scary places to be. Um, I'm hoping that we don't see the front line that we're talking about over these, these weeks as a scary place to be, but actually as a place of great opportunity. Basically, the front line is those, those, those places that we spend our lives when we're not here in church or in church meetings. So it's, it's when you're at home, it's when you're at, at school, at uni, um, in your clubs, your societies at work, wherever it, wherever it is that you happen to be when you're not here, that basically is your front line. And we're talking uh, over, the, over, the, over these weeks about how, how is it that we live for Jesus in our, on our front lines? How is it that we can do the stuff that he's called us to do to make a difference in this world? And so that we really are seen to be a little Jesus. And the church is doing what it is that it is called to do. So over these next, next few Sunday evenings, we're going to be focusing on these frontline parables. And Jesus, Jesus spoke in lots of parables. Um, if you read through the Gospels, you'll find lots and lots of different parables, stories where, where Jesus is basically taking something that was ordinary and everyday and, and, and kind of giving that some spiritual significance. He was saying, actually, you're fully aware about this, but why not think about it in this particular way and, and learn something from me about, about the reality of life? And he's certainly encouraging us through these parables to live differently and to believe differently. And so tonight, we're going to begin this series with, with the, uh, the, the, the parable of the mustard seed, which is in Matthew chapter 13 and verses 31 and 32. It's on page, page 980 of your Bibles if you want to make, make sure that I'm not um, uh, misleading you in any way. Um, page 980 of the Pew Bibles, otherwise it's on the screen in front of you. Jesus said, well, he says here, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. 
Though it's the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Pretty simple, straightforward parable there. But there are four things that I want to draw out from from these these words of Jesus that I hope will, will encourage us as we think about living our lives out on the front line from this evening onwards. The first thing is that this parable, like most of Jesus' parables, is about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Matthew uses the the term kingdom of heaven quite a bit. The the other writers use the kingdom of God. That's that's all because the the gospel of Matthew was basically addressed to to Jewish believers who were not happy about using the, the, the name for God. And so kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, it's the same thing, basically, there. When Jesus was speaking about the good news, he was often talking about good news. He, he very rarely just spoke about good news. It was always the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. And again, it's something that in the churches we've often, we've often uh, forgotten about or misunderstood really what this means. What is the kingdom of God? Maybe you've, 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 you've got your ideas on that and you know what it is completely and fully anyway. But just in case you don't know, we're just going to have a, just a brief kind of uh, um, explanation about what that, what it really means, okay? Um, for, for Jesus' initial kind of uh, followers, or the people who were alive at the time of Jesus, they thought the kingdom of God was going to be when, when Jesus came, or the Messiah came, and kicked the Romans out of Israel, so that, so that the, the, the earthly kingdom of Israel would be restored again, as, as it was in the past, and kind of return to its former glory, Jesus was very, very quick to say that's not why he came into the world. Other people say, actually, no, the, the kingdom of God, for that, for that word, the king, that phrase kingdom of God, you can, you can put the word church in there. And so everything that Jesus said about the kingdom of God applies to the church. I want to say that that's not right. That's quite wrong, actually, because what, what that says is that everything that goes on in church is really what God wants, and God only works in the church. Both of those things are wrong, and we can talk about that some other time. But actually, what, what I think is really important is to get the idea that Jesus', Jesus understanding of the kingdom of God is wherever God's rule or God's reign is exhibited. A guy called Roger Forster describes it as the kinging it of God. So in, in whatever situation, place, or person, you get a sense that God is at work, and you see something of God in that person, that place, or that situation then God is there. God's rule, God's reign, is coming into that place and that situation. And we see that in Matthew Matthew 4, 23, which is on on the slide there now. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So that's that phrase again, the good news of the kingdom. How do we know he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom? Well, there were signs that were following what he was doing there. He was healing every disease and illness among the people, and the news about him spread all over Syria. Interesting place, isn't it? And the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So the kingdom of God is present wherever God's will is being done. Okay, so it's not, it's not just something that Jesus brings in. Whenever we go out and we do the stuff that Jesus wants us to do, we are seeing the kingdom of God come into that situation. And we can know 
that the kingdom of God is there because we see people and places and situations change, change for the better. We see something of God in that place, that person, and that situation. And a church, of course, is the primary way that God chooses to, to actually get his kingdom onto the earth, his rule and his reign in the earth. And he's looking for people who are willing to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and just to be a different, a different person, a different influence out there in the world. When we say that the church is the primary agent, I don't mean it's an organizational thing. I kind of said that a little bit earlier on, in a sense. We're talking about people, the body of Christ. So people who are filled with the Holy Spirit go out and live wherever they are on their front lines and something happens. The kingdom of God comes into that place because we're doing the works of Jesus. And those, those situations, those people and those places are changed. And this stuff really does happen. Paul, one of, one of the other writers of the Bible, he, he said that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So whenever we see righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, we know that the kingdom of God has come into that place. And Jesus calls all of us to go out there and to see his kingdom come into those places. And Jesus, I'm sure, had a huge amount of fun as he was, as he was going out and doing this stuff that we read about here in Matthew 4.23. He wants us to have the same kind of fun that he had by doing the stuff that he was doing. Okay, that's, that's what it means to be fully human, is to do the stuff that Jesus was doing on the earth. He had great fun doing that most of the time. I'm sure he didn't have great fun, of course, dying on the cross. And there are times when we have to do those kind of things as well, when we have to suffer. But basically, he wants us to, to have the fun of seeing his kingdom come and places and people and situations changing. So the kingdom of God is something that all of us are able to bring in wherever we go, okay? And that's what God is calling us to do. The second thing I want to say is that God is into small beginnings. It can be really discouraging sometimes when you get people at the front talking about evangelism, having to share our faith with other people and all that stuff. Some people just kind of hate it and shrivel up, think, I can't possibly do any of that kind of stuff. I wonder if you've ever thought, what, what, what difference can I make for God in the world? Anyone ever thought that? Ask yourself that question. Hopefully you have. It's a really good question to ask. If you haven't asked it yourself uh, before this evening, then do ask it tonight. It may be that we ask that question because we think, well, I've got nothing. I can't possibly make a difference in this world. It's just me, and I haven't really got many gifts so on and so forth. But the parable here tonight says that, yes, we can make a difference. If you take something small, and plant, like a mustard seed, and you plant it in the soil, guess what? What does the parable say? It'll grow. It'll grow. That's what it says. That's what the Word of God says to us. Now, we get into difficulties when we, when we kind of think that God thinks big, we always have to go back to thinking about Jesus. If you're not familiar with the story of Jesus, he was born in a stable in Bethlehem, an out-of-the-way village that no one really knew much about. He wasn't born in a palace in Jerusalem to, to get a really kind of, you know, a, a, an A-plus start in life. He started at the bottom in a lowly place where people often, often just kind of overlooked him. But that's where God started there. 
God is into small beginnings. There's a book, a book in the Old Testament called Judges, and a guy called Gideon there who was, who was quite a, a fearful character. God called him to, um, to become a judge and to become a leader and to, uh, to basically kick out the Midianites who were abusing and overrunning the people of Israel. He was really afraid about doing that. He got an army of 32,000 people, and God said, ah, that's too big. Too many soldiers. Get rid of some soldiers. So he got rid of some soldiers and got down to 10,000 soldiers. And God said, that's still too big. And he got down to 300, and God said, yeah, okay, that's enough. And basically, what God was saying there is, actually, I start with small things. I want my power to be seen through the small things that go on in life. Some of you will know that Hillary and I worked um, in Hong Kong for a few years back in the 1990s, and we worked with a woman there called Jackie. Uh, She was a 22-year-old music student, just graduated, and always wanted to be a missionary. And so she went to all these missionary societies, and they said, what use are you to us? You're a a music graduate, age 22. Go away and learn to be a teacher or something, and come back when you've got some useful skill, I think is basically what they were saying to her. Um, So she was obviously discouraged to some degree at that point. But she trusted, trusted in God and went on our own, on, on our own devices. And she got to Hong Kong and went to a place called the Walled City. It was a den of thieves, basically. Um, 10,000 or more people living in that place there on the left, you can see. Um, it's just a horrible, horrible place there. And there's a, a kind of manga version of Jackie there. You can see, actually... Yeah, someone small and relatively insignificant, you might think, going into a place like that where she couldn't speak the language with loads of foreign people who were high on opium and heroin and so on and just wanted to tell them about Jesus. A really, really hard thing to do. But she got there and she began to pray. Didn't pray for the 10,000, but prayed for the one person that she saw, starting small. So God was starting small with her, and she was starting small with the people there. But for seven years, she saw just about nothing. But that's not surprising, is it? She's a, a music graduate. She hadn't been to Bible college, certainly hadn't been to Spurgeon's college like Ross. And Oh, no, you didn't go to Ross. Well, you didn't go there, but you can tell that, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> Clive went to Spurgeon's, of course, as did I. But um, <laughs> maybe one day, Ross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, so, so that, that wasn't her background at all there. And she was a foreign woman in, a, in, this, in this strange place. So who expected anything to happen? Of course, what really needed to happen was for someone like Billy Graham to go out to Hong Kong. If you've, if you've heard of Billy Graham, a great evangelist guy from a, a, a previous um, uh, age, I was going to say century, isn't it, really? Actually, back in the, in the 20th century. Um, who, who held big rallies and saw lots of people saved um, through his rallies. Thousands and thousands of people came to faith through him. What we don't know, of course, is that actually 95% of those people that went forward in these rallies had got Christian friends. So it wasn't just about Billy Graham. It was about the small, the small people that we don't know who they are who had been, been there for these people. But closer to home, who are the people that you see around and about you? Those people that that God has given you a heart for, those people who don't yet know Jesus. And what can you do to show those people that God loves them? It may, it may be something really small, and hopefully it is a really small thing for you to do.
It may be that you are afraid. Well, what if, what if I open my mouth and, and I tell them about Jesus and I get it all wrong? It'll put them off forever. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I've certainly, certainly felt that as well. A great thing to do. The Lord's Prayer, if you're familiar with that, there's a, there's a line in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? When we're asked to pray by Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You heard that phrase before or that line before? Why not ask God, God, what is, it, what, is it, what is it that needs to happen in this person's life or in this situation where we can see your kingdom come, the kingdom of God stuff again, kingdom of heaven from this parable, and to see your will being done in their life and in that situation. And God will tell you, you know, because actually God wants to reach that person even more than you do. He will show you some things to do, and it may seem like they're just really tiny, insignificant things that he calls you to do. But if you do those things, you'll see the kingdom of God come. So if you think what you've got to share is insignificant, think again. It may be small, and if it's small, then it's good. But with God, it's never, ever insignificant. It will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. It will make a massive difference. It will make a massive difference. So don't think that you've got nothing to give or what you've got is of no benefit or value at all. So we've spoken about the kingdom of heaven. We've spoken of the fact that God is into small beginnings. The third thing I wanted to say from this, this, uh, this parable is that, that growth depends on God. Growth depends on God. What happens to a mustard seed if it doesn't get planted in the soil? I know. I'm not a biologist, but... Um, Nothing is basically what I'm looking for. Nothing. It just stays as a mustard seed, doesn't it, really? But God, God is into partnership. He wants us to sow the seeds of the kingdom, these mustard seeds, in the soil. Okay? And then we may water it or something. But actually, we can't make it grow. I don't know if, if, if there are any gardeners here, if you've got any, any, any kind of tricks for making things grow. Probably not. Because actually it's not down to us. It's not us that makes things grow. It is God that makes things grow. Jesus himself was in a partnership. He was in a partnership with his Father in heaven. And he said, I only do the things that I see my Father doing. And funny old thing, Jesus was amazing at doing miracles and <laughs> doing some really fabulous stuff because he saw what was in the heart of God, his Father. And he was just doing those things out in everyday life. He spent lots of time praying, seeking God the Father. And we're basically being called to do the same thing. Father, what is it that you're doing in the life of this person or in this situation? What is it you want to do in the life of this person or this situation? And then when we hear, hear from him, we get on and we do that. I don't know. I don't know how long it takes for a mustard seed to grow. Some people here may well know how long it takes because once the seed is sown, it's hidden in the soil. You may water it in faith, but you don't see any growth. It takes the time it takes until suddenly there's a shoot that comes out of the ground, and you say, ah, it is growing after all. It can take a long, long time for things to actually grow. And you may find that with the, when you're sowing seeds on the front line. If you're discouraged this evening that you've been sowing seeds and you've know, been talking to your friends or uh, colleagues at work and you've been doing practical things for them and nothing seems to happen, you've planted the seed, haven't you? That seed has been planted. 
It is God's job to bring the growth. And he will do that, and he will do that in his own time. That's, that's why we need to trust God. We need to trust him, believing that he's even more committed to that person and that situation than you, am, than you are or I am. After seven years, Jackie Pullinger, here she is again, um, looking a little bit older than 22, she, uh, she was prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And God gave her a new prayer language. And she said that she went out onto the streets uh, in the walled city and was talking to people, sharing the same kind of things that she'd always shared with them, and suddenly they began to listen. Suddenly they, they took an interest, and people, people were uh, uh, keen to find out about Jesus, and she, she would pray with them to, to meet Jesus. And then she began to, to notice as well that those who were addicted were drawn to the gospel, and she saw people set free miraculously from, from their heroin and opium addictions. And there's a, a whole long story that we won't go into this evening there. But the fact is that actually seven years it took, and she saw absolutely nothing. She could easily have given up many, many, many times and just come back to England and played in an orchestra or something, whatever, whatever she would have perhaps done. But she just carried on, and God brought about the growth here at Mutley, we, we have our, our recovery group, which I'm a part of, and, and Gaffer's Cafe, but lots of other things as well. And we see people having their lives transformed from, from, a, from a life of addiction and meeting Jesus and being set free from that. We've seen people who've, who've, who've really kind of moved on. We've also seen people who've come to know Jesus and kind of got, got clean and got free for a bit and then relapsed and gone, gone back to the drink or the drugs or whatever else it is Again, and we haven't seen them for a few years sometimes, and then they come back again, and so on and so forth. It can all be very discouraging. It's a hard job to be involved in when people don't, don't always make a success of what it is that we want them to make a success of. Don't always get set free and stay being set free. It can be massively discouraging, unless, of course, we trust God, believing that God is the one responsible for the growth in the lives of these people that we're concerned about. God will bring about the growth. If we plant those seeds, he will bring about that growth. It's not, not our job to bring about the growth. It's our job to be there to support and encourage people and to live like Jesus the best we can. But it's his job to bring about the growth. So growth depends on God. Finally, I want to say, actually, the fruit of our mustard seed blesses many. The parable that Jesus spoke finishes with a brilliant picture. This seemingly insignificant seed, he, he says it was the smallest of all the, all the seeds in the garden. It has been planted and it's grown into a tree, a tree that's a massive shrub. I don't know how big it would be, but se- se- several feet tall, we think it would have been. Um, and that, that seed uh, became that tree and the birds of the air came to perch in its branches. The kingdom of God always brings life and goodness and blessing to others. But it always begins with a small beginning. If we sow the seeds of the kingdom that God gives to us, they will bear the fruit of the kingdom. Okay? If you, if you plant mustard seed, you get a mustard tree. If you plant something else, you won't get a mustard tree. Okay, if you're planting seeds of the kingdom, obviously important you are planting what God wants you to plant rather than other stuff. So much other stuff gets planted in the world today, doesn't it? If we're planting the seeds of the kingdom, 
we will find that mustard seeds grow. Jackie Pullinger had a vision that the walled city that we saw earlier on would one day become a place where families would be able to picnic together and kids would run around and have fun. This is a picture of what the walled city became. This is taken um, about 10 years or so ago now. Um, you can't see any kids or families there, but you get, you get a sense of, obviously, it's, it's now a park. It's been completely demolished, and it's turned into a park there, a place where families picnic and kids do play. So the fruit of our mustard seeds will bless many, many people. There's a guy called Tom Sign who wrote an amazing book called The Mustard Seed Conspiracy. And in it, he wrote this. He said, Jesus, let us in on an astonishing secret. God has chosen to change the world through the lowly, ordinary, and insignificant. I don't know if you feel lowly, ordinary, or insignificant this evening. If you do, you're in a good place. Okay, this should give us all hope, he says. Changing the world through the conspiracy of the insignificant has always been God's strategy. Small acts of kindness, small projects of hope, small struggles for peace and justice in the name of Jesus are mustard seeds of the kingdom. And these seeds will grow into vast trees under which all the peoples of the world will discover the sheltering love of God. It's just good to hold on to that, isn't it, actually? I don't know what, what things that it may be that God wants you to be doing in, out in your front line with the people that, that you're particularly concerned with tonight. Is there, is there a small act of kindness? Are there some projects of hope, struggles for peace and justice? Is it sharing a word in season? Is it doing something practical for these people? Whatever it is, whatever it is, are you going to are you going to do that? Knowing that actually, as you plant that seed, that God will bring about growth and it will be a blessing to that person and to others as well. God is inviting us to be a part of something really, really small, said somebody else. And I think that's an encouraging thing. It doesn't stay small, of course. It gets very, very big there. The question for us all is, are we in? Are we going to take these mustard seeds that God has given to us and are we going to plant them out on our front lines? I shall leave you with that thought this evening. But God bless you as you do follow him out to your front lines. Amen.